You may have noticed that I'm not Pastor Darren. Pastor Darren's our senior pastor, um, and so he's not here. He's been gone for the last couple of weeks, and I've been filling in, and we're in this series that he started about three weeks ago called Safe Haven. Pastor Darren will be back next week, by the way, to finish this up. We've got two more weeks in the series, um, some really great stuff coming there. I know we're going to talk specifically about marriages and a few other things uh, that he's got planned for us. Uh, but in the meantime, you're stuck with me today, and, and, and before we jump in, we're going to do a little recap, okay? Because I feel like we have covered just a ton of stuff in two weeks. Like, we just kind of... It's almost been like a fire hose the last couple of weeks, where in the very first week, Pastor Darren talked to us about this idea of safe haven, and really, what does it mean uh, to have a safe place? What does it mean for our homes to be safe places in the world? You know, that the world is, is attacking, the world is out to get us, it's a dangerous, scary place, but our homes shouldn't be. And in that very first week, Pastor Darren uh, showed us that what it really means to have a safe home is to be safe people, to be a safe person. And what does it take to be a safe person? We talked about that um, two weeks ago. And he, he asked you to ask a question of the people around you. What's it like to be on the other side of me? And that's a scary question. Some of you got some answers that, that maybe you didn't like so much. I know I got some answers I didn't like so much. Uh, but it's important that we understand how people see us, how people view us in order for us to be safe people for them. And we talked a lot about that in the first week. And then last week, we talked about our stories. And we kind of realized that, that we all have a story, that we all have baggage, we all have scars, we all have things that we bring into our relationships our parenting relationships, our marriage relationships, our friendships. We, we bring all of these things in, and it's actually not possible for us to be safe unless we turn our stories over to God and allow him to redeem our stories and, and rewrite those stories. Right? And that's what we looked at last week. And, and, and I don't know about you, but like just even recapping it right now, I'm going, oh my gosh, there's, there's so many things I was supposed to be doing the last two weeks that I don't know that I've done any of them. Um, anybody feel a little overwhelmed by all this? Yeah? I mean, am I the only one? I mean, that's possible, but, but surely not. Surely you're looking at this, and if you're really taking serious this idea of making your home a safe place, a safe haven, you're going, man, there's a lot to do. There's a ton of stuff to remember, right? I mean, we've had two major points and like seven sub points and probably 14 or 15 like tertiary points, and, and there's, just, we've, there's just been a ton of information thrown at you. And so I was thinking this week, man, wouldn't it be great... I mean, all of this stuff is really good. All of this is really good information, and it's really good things for us to remember and to apply, and, and I'm sure that there are certain things that, that some of us need to work on more than other things, and, and that's really great, and, and so we want to give you all of those tools to help you follow God and say yes to God. But, but what if, what if there was just one thing, that when we're overwhelmed, when we're stressed out, when we're tired, when we don't want to parent well, when we don't want to marry like, well, we don't want to be married well. Like, we're just tired of it, right? Like, come on, married people, you know what I'm talking about, right? When you don't want a marriage well. I mean, I made that up. I made that verb up. But that's a real thing, right? Like, so what if there was one thing that we could remember when, when we're just done, one thing that we could focus on that would get us through that moment to the point where we could kind of step back and, and reevaluate the situation? What if there was one thing? Wouldn't that be great? That'd be so much easier. It'd be so great if we just had this one thing to focus on. And I think that we do. I think that God has given us a thing to focus on. And we're going to look at it today. In fact, it's something that Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 22. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. Matthew chapter 22. If you don't have a Bible, we'll put the text up on the screen. You can read along with us up there. Um, But Matthew chapter 22. Here's what's going on. 
Jesus is out and about, he's talking to different people, he's teaching, uh, and he's gaining some reputation as a teacher. And the teachers of the law, uh, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they're not real happy about the reputation that Jesus is gaining. And so they come up with these questions to try and trick him, to try and test him, to see if he really knows what he's talking about, to see if he really has the authority that people are giving him. And so one day, the Pharisees come to Jesus, and they ask him this question, and here's what it says. One of them, an expert in the law tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And here's what Jesus said. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So there it is. Jesus was asked the question. What's the most important thing? Out of all the things we're supposed to remember, what's the most important thing? And and guys, this isn't like a list of ten that that they're saying, hey, out of these ten, what's the most important thing, right? In in the scripture, uh, in the Old Testament, there's over 600 commandments that the Israelites were supposed to keep. There's over 600 things they were supposed to do. All kinds of laws, ranging from what we can eat to to what we can't eat, to how we're supposed to wear our clothes, to um, how we treat people, how we handle debt, uh, all kinds of laws. 600 plus laws, and Jesus says these two, everything hangs on these two things. Love God, love others. Now, Some of you saw it pop up on the screen, and you looked at your bulletin and went, oh my gosh, I don't know where to write it. Because your bulletin doesn't look normal, right? It's not not a list of one, two, three, and we're going in order. We're we're mixing things up a little bit. Darren's out of town, right? So I thought it'd be fun. Um, but no, there's, there's actually a point to it. You're going to notice on your bulletin, if you've got a bulletin, you're taking notes on there, um, in the middle, there's a, a darker line that's right in the middle of everything. This statement goes there because this is central. This is the thing, this is the thing that Jesus says is the one thing, the two things that we have to remember. Love God and love others. These are the two things that everything else hangs on. So we're going to put those right in the middle. Now, I have a question for you. Has anybody ever heard that before? Anybody? Right? I mean, if you grew up in church, if you've been to church a few times, you've probably heard this statement that the greatest commandment is to love God and to love others, right? We we teach it to our kids. In fact, it's the whole basis of what we do in children's ministry. Everything we do is centered around teaching our kids to do these two things, to love God and to love others. Our whole curriculum in elementary, in early childhood, in middle school, in high school is centered around these things of teaching kids to love God and love others for their whole life. Right? It's core to who we are. We've heard this before. But, but what, what does that mean? Like, what does it look like to love God and love others the way that Jesus said? That's a tougher question. One that sometimes we don't give much thought to. Right? And so I think that if we're going to do this, if we're going to focus on these two things, then we ought to understand what these two things actually mean and what it actually looks like to do this, what it actually looks like to focus on this thing, loving God and loving others. And fortunately for us, Jesus 
explains it to us. Now, as you look in your notes, you're going to see that there's three blanks around that, right? There's three blanks around that core topic because in the very next passage, I think that Jesus unpacks three things that are central to loving God and loving others. Three things that we really have to hold on to if we're going to understand what it means to do this. But, but here's what we've got to understand. They're not in a priority order. That's why they're in a big circle, right? They're not like, oh, I can focus on this thing first, and when I get this thing, then I'll focus on this thing, and when I get that thing, then I'll focus on this. I think we have to do all three at the same time and and build this thing up all together in order to have a stable foundation from which to love, okay? So that's why they're in your bulletin the way that they are. That's why they're in your notes the way that they are. And what I want to encourage you to do this morning is just go ahead and take your, your writing utensil and connect those things, right? Just draw the lines around connecting all those things so that you can remember these things are connected, right? That there's not a priority. There's no numbers on here at this time, right? They're all connected. We've got to do all three of them, all right? So jumping in, or actually let's back up a little bit so you understand what's going on. As I said, Jesus was being tested. Um, They came to him with this question to see if he understood the law. And you know, this, this scene, if you go back and read the whole thing, all of Matthew 22, it, it reminds me a little bit of when my daughter was in like second or third grade and she was learning multiplication for the first time. Are there any third graders in here? We got some third graders in here today? Anybody in third grade? Third grade? Third grade. Are you learning multiplication? Yeah? So you can tell me what two times two is. What is it? Good job. And three times three? Very good, right? She's got it down. Multiplication, right? And my daughter was in that stage, learning multiplication. She was very proud that she was learning these things, and so she would come home every day with, with a new multiplication facts. Dad, Dad, two times two is four. And three times three, that's nine. And four times four, that's 16, right? And she was showing me all of her knowledge, and, it was, and I was very proud of her. But, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm not a perfect parent. Perfect parents don't exist, and occasionally... I would get a little tired of relearning multiplication. And so in one of my not-so-fine parenting moments, I said, good job, Grace. What's 30 times 64? (laughs) Now, it wasn't very kind. I understand that. I've apologized. We've reconciled. It's okay. But Jesus kind of does this thing to the Pharisees, right? Because the Pharisees are here, right? And they're, they're testing him with this knowledge. They're saying, hey, do you understand this? Do you know this? What about this, right? And they're asking him these questions. And finally, Jesus answers this question. This is the greatest commandment is to love God and love others. And then he turns and asks them a question that they can't answer. And what he's doing in that moment is establishing the fact that he knows what he's talking about, that he is the authority, that he understands scripture more than they do, that, that if we're going to look at someone, it's not the Pharisees that we look at, it's Jesus that we look at, his understanding of scripture, right? And so he establishes himself as the authority, and then he turns to the crowds and the disciples, and he says something to them. He says this to them. He says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you. Now, wait a minute. He just put them in their place, and now he's saying that we have to be careful to do everything they tell you. What's going on here? What was very confusing to me when I first read this, I I just couldn't figure out why is Jesus like so condemning to them in one statement, and then says, hey, you've got to listen to them in the next statement. And and the truth is, the Pharisees kind of get a bad rap. Like, if you've been around church world for very long, the Pharisees are automatically the bad guy, right? Those of us who grew up in church, you just hear the word Pharisee, and you go, oh, that's the bad guy. Right? That's what we do, right? 
Because we hear so often about how terrible they were and, and what terrible people they were. And the truth is, the way they treated people was pretty terrible. And what Jesus condemns them for is the way that they treated people. But there's one thing about the Pharisees that was really kind of a positive. There's one thing about them that was kind of a, a good thing. And it's this. They knew the scripture better than anybody else in their day. They understood. They knew God's word. They knew what it said. They knew the Old Testament. Having memorized sometimes whole books of the Old Testament, entire scrolls, they, they had this stuff down. Like they knew the scripture. But here's the problem. The reason that they knew the scripture was to use it to elevate their position. Rather than using the scripture and the knowledge contained in the scripture to know God, to understand God, to grow closer to God, they used it to make themselves feel better and look better and gain authority. And so when Jesus says, you've got to do what they do, they sit in Moses' seat, what he's saying is, they know the scripture. So when they tell you scripture, you listen to the scripture. You listen to what they say because they know the scripture, but you don't do what they do. And so here's the thing for us to understand first is if we're going to love God and love others, the first thing we have to do is we have to know him. We've got to know God, right? And it's not enough to know the scripture. It's not enough to know the Bible. We have to know the God of the Bible. Does that make sense? Do you get the difference? If you've been in a relationship of any kind for any length of time, whether it's a friendship or a, a, an employee-employer relationship, a spousal relationship, or a relationship with your kids, you know that one of the benefits of getting to know that person is that you can anticipate their reaction. You, you know what they're going to say. You know what they're going to do. You know if I say this, she's going to say this. If I do this, my son's going to do this. If I do this, my boss is going to do this. He's going to respond to this way. And here's what the Pharisees were doing. They took this knowledge of the scriptures and knowledge of God, and what they were doing is trying to use it to manipulate their relationship with God. And what God says, I want you to know me, right? That's not a healthy relationship where you're in it to, like if I was just to study my wife, and you guys, you should study your wife, by the way. That should never stop. I'm learning that the hard way right now. But you should never stop studying uh, the people that you're in a relationship with so that you know them better, so that you can love them better, so that you can understand them better. But, but what happens sometimes is that we use that knowledge not to help them, not to serve them, not to love them, but to manipulate them, right? And Jesus says, no, 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 here's the thing. You've got to know God. You can't just know about me and try and manipulate that relationship. You've got to know me. You've got to know God. And so it's not enough just to be in Scripture. You should be in Scripture. You should be reading your Bible. You should be on the YouVersion app, trying to understand who God is, trying to learn who he is, reading through the Old Testament and the New Testament, what God has done, who he is, what his character is like. But also, you should be spending time in prayer, talking to the Lord, saying, God, who are you? Reveal your plan to me. Show me who you are. Speak to me. Reveal yourself. Spending that time with him. And then also hanging out with other people who know God. Spending time in community, because one of the ways that we learn about God, one of the ways we learn who God is, is by seeing him work in other people's lives. And so it's not enough just to get in the word and understand what God says. It's not enough to know scripture. We have to know God. All right? So the first thing, we have to know God. And then Jesus continues, and he says this, but do not do what the Pharisees do. For they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads, and they put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. 
Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries long, wide, and their has- the tassels on their garments long. By the way, that's like a, it's like a robe with tassels on it. And the bigger it was, the more important you were. I know it's like a weird word, but I figured I'd explain it to you this morning. <clears throat> All right, jump me back in. They love the place of honor at the banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. Look, guys, what Jesus is saying here, don't be like the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees use all of this knowledge. Everything they do, all of the people in their lives, they're using them as tools to gain position, to gain respect, to gain honor, to gain this, this um, uh, like to, to get people to love them and to worship them. Right? This is what they're doing. They're, they're using people. They don't love people. They don't care for people. They're using their position and their authority and their knowledge and everything about them to get ahead, to try and be better than the guy next to them. And Jesus says, don't be like them. And so the opposite of doing that, the opposite of seeing people as things to be used, as seeing people as tools that we can use to, for our own advantage, the opposite of that is to see people the way that Jesus sees them. So this is the next thing we, that we see here, is that we've got to see people the way that Jesus sees them. We've, we've got to see people not from a perspective of, um, are you doing what's right or not, but, but the way that Jesus sees them with compassion, with mercy, right? It, it's so easy to sit on our, uh, our, our, our pedestals up here. It's, it's so easy to sit up here and say, hey, I've got my life together. Why doesn't this person have their life together? This person is terrible. And Facebook is like the worst place in the world for this, Right? Man, you just get on Facebook and you're like, hey, look at my perfect children and look at my perfect family portrait and how great we are. We're going to the zoo, man. And you don't see that that took that family five hours to actually get in the car and get ready for that photo and getting to the zoo, right? Facebook is terrible at helping us show the only the parts of ourselves that we want to show to people so that we can prove that our family is better than your family. I'm just saying. We can't see people that way. We can't see people as objects to help us feel better about our own lives, as objects to help us feel better about how well we're doing. We have to see them the way that Jesus sees them. And isn't that what Jesus did for us? I mean, didn't Jesus look down from heaven and say, man, these guys are a mess. They cannot do anything I've asked them to do. They can't follow a single commandment. They can't, do any, they can't help themselves but to sin. What a mess. I should just reject them and throw them away. But Jesus didn't do that. He stepped into our world, being born fully human and fully God all at the same time, and walked in our shoes, stepped into our life. He understands our struggles because he walked them. He understands our difficulties because he experienced them. He understands the pain because he felt it. He walked in our place. And he calls us to do the same, to see people the way he sees them, right? There's a story in the book, a Safe Home. <clears throat> and in the story, there's a teenage daughter who, who comes to her dad and says, hey, I want to go to the football game. And dad says, I'm sorry, sorry, uh, you can't go to the football game tonight. And the daughter responds by storming off, slamming the door, screaming, you're the worst dad ever, I hate you. Anybody got a teenager? I'll pray for you. Just kidding. Teenagers are amazing. Teenagers are some of my favorite people on the planet. 
They're so full of passion and so full of energy and so just trying to experience everything the world has for them. Sometimes we forget that. And when we come at, if, if this dad was to come at this situation and say, look, look, I'm in charge. I'm the dad. You need to respect me. What happens is this girl would have heard, all you care about is my performance. You care about how well I perform over what's happening in my life, over who I am, over how I feel, over what I'm experiencing. But this dad didn't do that. Instead, he said, hey, what, what's going on? Like, that was, that was a lot. What, what's, what's happening? What's, what's the problem? Why is this such a big deal? Why is this football game such a big deal? And what the dad learned is that for the entire school year, this girl had been rejected by all of her peers, that she'd never been invited to the lunch table, she's never been invited to a single event, she'd never been invited to any activities, none of the girls wanted to spend time with her or hang out with her, and finally, these four girls had invited her to go with them to the football game. She finally had an opportunity to have some friends and some connection and feel accepted, and her dad took it away from her. Well, he didn't know that. And it wasn't okay that she screamed at it. Like, I'm, I'm not saying that that behavior is okay, but there's two ways that we can come at this. If we come at it the way that I think Jesus would have us come at it, if we would step into their shoes and say, what's going on here? Why is this happening? Why are you so upset? We can see through their perspective, oh my gosh, sweetie, I had no idea that you felt so rejected. I had no idea you felt so unloved. Let me come alongside you. Let me show you that I love you. Let me, let me fix this. Let me make this better. And now that you know that I love you and that I care about your situation, hey, next time, you don't have to scream at me. Just tell me. I'm here for you. I, I, I want to help you. I want to walk with you. See, when we prioritize the relationship, we have the opportunity to teach and to train and to show, right? When we prioritize the relationship, we get to stay there and say, this is a better way. When we prioritize behavior, we've lost it. Because we said, unless you perform this way, you have no part with me. Guys, we have to step into their shoes. Not only our kids, but our spouses, the people we work with, the people in our community. We have to step into their shoes and say, what's going on here? How can I help? That's what Jesus does. And then he says this. You are not called. You are not to be called rabbi. For you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest, pay attention to this, this is the most important part. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. What Jesus says is once you've seen it through their eyes, you've got to step in and do something about it. You've got to step in and serve them. You have to serve others before you serve yourself. And so often, we see, I deserve, but I should get, but my, but my position says that I deserve this. But my, my authority in my home says that I should have it this way. But, 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 but this thing about me, I'm so amazing. I kept this thing so well. I've done so well that I deserve to be served. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You humble yourself. If you want to be great in the kingdom, you'll call yourself a servant. Right? And so here's what we find. We have to step in and serve others before we serve ourselves and here's what that means it means when you're tired because you've been at work all day and you come home and there's still housework to be done you don't sit on the couch and do nothing you say how can I help 
It means that when you've been at home all day slaving away with the kids trying to keep it together and your husband comes home or your wife comes home and she says, man, what a day I have had, you don't say, okay, that's great, get on dinner. No, I'm serious. It goes both ways. It goes both ways. And if we will commit to living this way, to say, you know what, I will do whatever I can, whenever I can, to serve the people around me. I will love them, I will lead them by serving. I will lead them by saying, whatever you need, I will put your needs ahead of my own as much as I can. If we would do that, we'd see the world changed. And isn't this what Jesus did for us? He was in heaven, in paradise, with God. And he gave it all up to come to this earth, to live the life that we were supposed to live but couldn't, and then to die the death that we deserve. But he took it upon himself for us. He served us, made himself a servant, submitted himself even to death on a cross for us. And for what purpose? To restore the relationship. Here's what it means to love God and to love others. To sum it up, it means you do whatever you can to stay in relationship. You do whatever you can to grow your relationship with God. You do whatever you can to stay in relationship with the people around you. You serve them. You see it through their perspective. You know God. You know God's heart. You understand what he wants for them, what he wants for you. And you lean in and say, I will do whatever I can to fight for this relationship. Imagine how our homes would be different if we did that. Imagine how our workplaces would be. I mean, just think about it, man. Think about if you went to work every day and instead of going, hey, I'm the boss, so you all need to listen to me, you went in and said, hey, I'm the boss, so how can I serve you? How would it be different? How would your workplace be different? What kind of joy would there be there? What kind of stresses would go away if you came home every day and said, hey, honey, I'm home, how can I help? How would it be different? What kind of screaming would stop in our homes around our kids if we said, bud, what's going on, man? Help me understand. I want to help. I want to walk in your shoes. I want to take care of it. I want to serve you first. What would happen if we lived that way? What would happen is we would see heaven on earth. We would see the embodiment of Jesus Christ in each one of us be lived out in our relationships with one another. And we would see the kingdom come. That's what Jesus prayed for. This is what he's called us to. This is what he saved us for. He gave his life so that we could be representatives on this earth of who Jesus is, man. And I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. Guys, like I have to go home after church. Like I'm preaching this sermon, okay? Like just understand for, for just a second, okay? I'm preaching this sermon. And as I'm preaching, hey, we've got to prioritize our relationships with our kids. We've got to make sure that we walk in their shoes first. We've got to make sure that we serve them first. Like as I'm preaching this, you know what's playing in my head? How I screamed at my 11-year-old daughter last night because she forgot to put her dishes away. It's ridiculous. But I'm a sinner. And I have pride. And I can't love the way that God asked me to love without his help.
I can't love my family the way God asked me to serve them without his help. I can't do it without the presence of Jesus. That's why it's so important that we do all three of these things, that we stay connected to God, that we know him, that we know him desperately so that he can work in our hearts, that so that he fills our hearts with his love so that we can be safe people and that we see people through his eyes so that, so that we can lean into their situation so that we can love them the way that he does and that we choose to serve them. We choose to step in and make their situation better so that they can see who God is. We can't do it without him.